For the rest of you that aren't aware, Pastor Steve is in Ghana, and uh, he'll be back sometime this week. Haven't heard anything from him. Jane, is he still alive? Kicking? All right. Doing good stuff? All right. Well, since Steve was going to be out, he, we couldn't get him to remote in, so he asked me to preach the sermon today. So I asked Steve, I said, Steve, I know you're in the middle of Acts, you know, preaching chapter by chapter. Would you like me to pick up where you left off? I emailed him that. So this is his email response. I'll read it to you. He said, Dear Mark, remember you were a lowly, non-ordained youth pastor. <laughs> Let the theological heavyweights handle the expository teaching of Acts. Just stick to the basics and, I don't know, use water balloons and whoopee cushions to creatively teach the congregation the Ten Commandments or something like that. Whatever you do, don't embarrass me and or cause giving to go down. Love your friend, mentor, <laughs> and boss, Steve. So, that was, my last, that was my last message from Steve Keller. So after uh, digesting that big piece of humble pie, I decided to go in a different direction. Um, if you remember, a month ago, uh, my wife's uh, brother, David, my brother-in-law, he preached here on the last Sunday of uh, September, and he dove into the whole deal of Romans, chapters, uh, chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. Um, in view of God's mercy, let us offer our bodies as living sacrifices unto God. And so he went on to unpack the fact that, you know, why would you do this? Because offering your bodies, your lives, that's a difficult thing. But, it, you know, boiled down to uh, five great words. Uh, Romans 12 starts out, in view of God's mercy. Those five words pretty much encapsulate or summarize the whole first 11 chapter, the 11 chapters of the book of Romans, just boast of the mercy and the grace of God. And when you get a view of that, man, you are motivated then to live a life, um, as David said, um, to live a life of worship, a lifestyle of worship. And um, he went on to say that as a response, our lifestyle of worship would really entail three, these three different things. It's the consecration or the renewal of our minds, the consecration of our hearts, our affections, our desires, and then thirdly, the consecration of our actions or our obedient behavior. These were kind of the three pillars of uh, Romans 12, 1 through 2, as he had mentioned. Well, I can't hope to top that sermon, but I did want to carry on this morning and pick up kind of where he left off. He gave me permission to do that. Uh, with our sermon this morning entitled, Celebrators, Haters, Mourners, and Scorners. Um, yeah, it's a great title, isn't it? I think it probably all goes downhill from here, but the title is great. Maybe you'll remember that. So um, what, what Paul does is he, he starts in uh, verse 9 with what I call the laundry list of love. It's just this long list of ways that we need to treat one another as a way of showing that our lives are on the altar of God as we offer ourselves as living sacrifices. Let me just read the list to you. And as I read them, you can just kind of take a quick note and assess, see how you're doing uh, personally in your life. Here's the laundry list. Hate evil, love good. Be devoted one to another. Honor one another above yourselves. Be zealous, not spiritually apathetic. Be joyful in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be faithful in prayer. Share with those who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who are against you. Live in harmony. Thank God he didn't say sing in harmony. Don't be proud or conceited and do not take revenge. That's quite the list, isn't it? Well, I did leave one 
item off of that laundry list um, because we're going to park on one verse this morning. It is Romans 12, 15. Let's read that together, shall we? Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. This is not a bird's eye view sermon today, folks, but rather a grassroots one. It's a highly practical message that just has a lot of handles that you can grab, right? So why are we just camping on one, one verse? You know, actually, I felt led of the Lord. I kind of felt this gravitational pull toward this verse. Uh, this verse that I think that often gets neglected and you don't hear much talked about, at least I haven't. And I think it's a good indicator for us personally and as a church to see where our hearts are. And I think it will often uh, also serve as a good challenge for us as well. So let's just dive right in, shall we? Let's look at the first half of Romans 12, 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice. What does that mean? Well, it kind of comes from the Greek word chiro, which carries the meaning to be cheerful or to bring cheer or celebration. One translation says, take a lively and active interest in the prosperity and the well-being of others. Now, some of you in this church are natural celebrators and rejoicers and cheerleaders. If you're sitting next to one of those people, just point to them right now. Yes, we love you. Let's applaud those people because you're always applauding us. We have a, we have a few things to learn. I just, I just love cheerleaders. Um, I love rejoicers. We can learn a lesson from them. So here's a question. Let's just start off with the basics. Um, when is it appropriate to rejoice with those who rejoice? Well, first of all, this is obvious, but it goes without saying, but I'll say it anyhow. In the big life events, there are big things that happen to us in our lives. Weddings, graduations, when babies are born, uh, when people get saved, when people get filled with the Spirit, when people recover from a major injury or an accident. Those are reasons to rejoice. Um, we have people in here that, that, that write books like Max Lyons and Mark Robinson. They just, they just, they're just publishing uh, brand new books. Writing a book is hard. You know, we need to celebrate them. I know uh, Graham Logsdon, he just got a great new job offer, you know, because he's very skilled. It's, it's very sad for us. Let me just say this. If Graham, if they had asked, if his new employer in Colorado had asked me for a reference, he'd be staying right here. <laughs> so... Uh, but we've got to celebrate because he worked hard for that. Um, you know, also in minor accomplishments. We know we can't always be living on the mountaintop all the time. But when someone works hard to get into shape, that's, that's worth rejoicing. If someone is consistent in their scripture or prayer reading time, um, someone goes another day or a week without smoking, that's a, that's a cause for rejoicing. Um, someone steps out of their comfort zone to forgive somebody that they've had ought against. Someone that uh, comes out of their comfort zone to do a public speaking engagement, to, to, to share at a Bible study, those are causes for rejoicing. I mean, even little things. Um, you know, Josh Cromwell got a great haircut from his sister the other day. I was like, dude, that was a great haircut. And it was free. We should rejoice about that. Um, when someone's birthday, I, someone once said there is still no cure for the common birthday. Nobody wants to have a common birthday. You, we, we need to make a big deal about people's birthdays, right? Especially the longer they're, you know, we celebrate God's faithfulness for another year on this planet. Um, and uh, Nichols worth of free advice, dudes, uh, anniversaries are rejoice worthy. Can I get an amen from the wives out there? Amen. And that, 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 you have to know your anniversary first and then, then you can celebrate it. So just a little, just get that in the right order there. Um, so here is, uh, here's the next slide. If I'm, you might have to advance this for me since it is not advancing. 
the next slide is, how can we celebrate with others well? There you go. How can we do it? Well, I don't want to take anything for granted, so let's, again, be real practical. It, it depends on the rejoice-worthy event, right? But, you know, how about a phone call? Whatever happened to the phone call? I'm talking to a lot, a lot of the, the younger folks here. Text messaging is great, but a phone call, it shows that you're putting in time. It shows sacrifice. Um, how about a handwritten letter or a card saying, hey, great job. I am so happy what you did. A, a, a handwritten card or letter, that's a gold mine. When you open that box and there's nothing but junk mail and letters, to get a handwritten letter, it really, it really means something. And, uh, and we should be rejoicing with people through that. Share, others, share their story with others. Don't let someone toot their own horn. Say, hey, did you hear what job he just got? Come on over. This is amazing. Tell everybody what you did. You know, and you can just, let's boast on other people. Let's celebrate together. Take them out to dinner. We just all love food. Christians really love food. And so, um, just say, hey, I'm gonna, you know, we're going to go out to five guys for that. Like, yeah, amen. I feel the witness on that, Lord. Yes. Um, throw a party. I mean, if you have a fatted calf, kill it and throw a party. People love the parties, the cakes. It really makes a difference uh, in people's lives. And how about this? Just a prayer of thanksgiving together. When somebody shares something great that God has just done for them or a great accomplishment, just pull them aside. So you know what? Let's just thank God right now for that. Jesus, we just thank you. Just thank them together. There's so many opportunities for rejoicing, big and small. Let's not forget the one who is a source of all good things and blessing. And let's just take opportunity to thank him for that. Now, it's great to um, celebrate things that are very spiritual, like when somebody comes to faith or gets filled with the Spirit, things like that. But what I'm saying is that it's not only important to celebrate things that are spiritual, but that in the very act of celebrating anything that's good, you make that a spiritual occasion because you're obeying Romans 12, 15. So you see something common, a common experience, a common uh, reason to celebrate? Go and celebrate that and it becomes spiritual. We're, let's be holistic here, guys. Let's just celebrate on, on all facets of life when good things happen. Now, there is a challenging side to this, is why don't we, yeah, the grumpy cat, why don't we celebrate others well? Um, or why do we become haters instead of celebrators? Well, there's a, probably an exhaustive list. Here are a few. Well, wait, we're going to get there yet. All right. Um, Here's, here's a few that I'm going to mention. Um, the first one is lack of time. Let me just say this. We need to make time, not just find it. If you just think of time as money, just say, hey, how do you make your living? Well, I just find money. That's what I do. Whenever I find money, that's how I make my way through. Nobody does that because you have to make money. You just can't find it. And so we have to make time to celebrate with others. All right? Enough said there. The second one would be envy. Now, envy is the, or Bible calls it covetousness, wanting what somebody else has. Um, a, a, a conservative comment, uh, commentator, uh, Dennis Prager, I remember listening to, his, read his book one time called something about happiness. I can't remember the exact title. Nonetheless, he calls it the missing tile syndrome. He talked about the time when he walks into this beautiful sanctuary. It's kind of like a tiled fresco in the ceiling, and it was gorgeous. He's like, wow, this is amazing. There's one tile missing right there. And so he said, he, he writes and says how he could not fully enjoy the beauty of that ceiling is because his eye was always drawn right there to that one tile that was missing. I'm like, is that not our lives as Christians oftentimes? Oh, the beautiful fresco that God gives us. And we're like, well, I don't have that. That is missing in my life. 
It's a killer comparison game. Lord, I thank you. I got this. I'm thankful for it. But how come she gets that? Or how come that good thing happened to them? Well, how, how in the world do they get that inheritance money? They don't even really need it. I'm the one that needs it. You know, all of these things that go through our mind. A guy named Michael Josephson once wrote, To the barefoot man, happiness is a pair of shoes. To the man with old shoes, happiness is a pair of new shoes. However, to the fellow with no feet, he'd just be happy to be barefoot. You know? So just remember, it's all relative. When you're always looking on the other side of the fence, wishing you had what they had, there's someone else looking over your fence, wishing what you had, wishing they had what you had. And so envy is a killer. It's a killer for us. It, 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 it hamstrings our ability to worship or uh, to celebrate with others. I mean, I, and, and just to be honest here, I mean, I drive around a 1999 Saturn SL2. Is there anyone else in here that has a car from the previous century? Anyone here? Yes, thank you, everyone. All right. So you, 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 you know, you're with me. And so when friends of mine, they get brand new cars, just kind of looking, they're like, oh, that's great. I'm happy for you. And inside, you know, you go sit in this thing, this rattle trap that you hope gets you from one place to another with 200,000 miles on it. And, you know, and so the Lord convicts me of things like that. The third thing is jealousy. Now, jealousy isn't wishing you had what someone else has. Jealousy is fearing that others will take away from you that which is rightfully yours. Now, whether you want to admit it or not, to, all, to some extent, all of us love the spotlight. When good things happen to us, oh, hey, look at me, good things are happening. And some of us like the spotlight so much, even when there's nothing good happening, we create drama to just keep the spotlight on us. And then when something good happens to someone else, all of a sudden the spotlight kind of goes from us onto someone else. Well, um, needless to say, I could, uh, I could tell you this, but I could show you from a classic clip here. I think we all have walked a mile in... Um, Woody's shoes very here. impressed with Andy's new toy. Toy? T-O-Y. Toy. Excuse me. I, I think the word you're searching for is Space Ranger. The word I'm searching for, I can't say because there's preschool toys present. Getting kind of tense, aren't you? Oh, uh, Mr. Light here. Uh, now, I'm curious. What does a Space Ranger actually do? He's not a Space Ranger. He doesn't fight evil or, or shoot lasers or fly. Excuse me. Impressive wingspan. Very good. Oh, what? What? These are plastic. He can't fly. They are a terillium carbonic alloy, and I can fly. No, you can't. Yes, I can. You can't. Can. Can't. 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 I tell you, I could fly around this room with my eyes closed. Okay, then, Mr. Lightbeer, prove it. All right, then I will. Stand back, everyone. To infinity and beyond! Okay, thank you. Thank, thank you all. Thank you. That wasn't flying. That was falling with style. Man, the dolls must really go for you. Can you teach me that? <laughs> Golly, Bob, howdy. Oh, shut up. You know, in a couple of days, everything will be just the way it was. They'll see. 
They'll see. I'm still Andy's favorite toy. All right, how many have uh, felt like Woody before, right? You know, you got your domain, all of a sudden the new guy in the block comes in, steals the spotlight, steals your thunder, and uh, the jealousy comes in. And as you can see, he was the only one that was unable to participate in the celebration of Buzz's falling with style. Um, you know, we, uh, we oftentimes feel like the older brother in the, son, in the story of the prodigal son, right? This, the prodigal son comes home, there's a rejoicing, kill the fatted calf, there's a party, and there's the older brother. You know what? He didn't want any of that because uh, he's the one that's entitled to the party, right? So we all have that in us, and it prohibits us from celebrating well. And the final uh, thing that keeps us from celebrating well is entitlement. Entitlement. When we think that God owes us all of the good things in life, I tell you what, such an enemy, entitlement is such an enemy of contentment. What Paul writes in Philippians 4, he says, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living plenty or want. Part of the secret that Paul realizes, everyone, is that God owes us nothing. Zero, zilch. The minute you think God owes you one iota, you have lost it. Everything that we have here that is good in life, James 1.17, everything is a gift from God everything. And so it's such an enemy of gratitude too, am I right? Because you cannot be thankful for something that you think you deserve. When you get your paycheck every, every few weeks, you're like, oh, well, who feels really thankful for that? You should, but you know, you worked hard for that. It's a paycheck. It's not a gift. And so there's one uh, thing that uh, I love to, to tell uh, students when I talk to them is that in the Bible, you can look that nowhere in Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, does God ever say thank you. God never thanks anybody for anything. They got, Noah built this giant ark. Nothing. Not even a, hey, nice job down there. Nothing. Because you only say thank you when you're indebted to someone else. And we are the ones that are indebted to the Almighty God. Jesus said thank you, but that was only to the Father. Uh, amen? Does that make sense? All right. Well, let's look at the second half of this verse. Romans 12, 15, mourn with those who mourn. Um, in the Greek, it does carry the notion of experiencing deep grief or sorrow, coming alongside somebody with a comfort to the grief-stricken. Other translations say weep with those who weep, be sad with those who are sad, and uh, share in the grief of those who are grieving. So, likewise, likewise who are my compassionate, tender hearts out there? Who point, next, point to the person next to you if they are a good mourner, if they know how to get in there. Yes, I see a lot of people pointing to the same person or people, and we can learn a lot from them. Um, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. So he's saying, if, if, here's a person that never mourned. You know, their life's okay, but they're the blessings on the person that has mourned and was comforted because something changes in them. They become more connected with God, they become more grateful, and they become more connected to community. And it's so awesome because we have the responsibility, and you guys know what I'm talking about, when you need to be comforted, when you're grieving, when you're going through depression, uh, seasons of, uh, of difficulty, sometimes it lasts for days, weeks, months, sometimes years. God often gives us that comfort through the, his Holy Spirit through the body of Christ. So that's part of our ministry. And what is one of these hidden blessings? Well, this is a, just a great verse. First, uh, 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 5. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction uh, with the comfort with which uh, we ourselves have been comforted by God. You know what I'm talking about here, guys? I'm talking about the power of empathy. The power of empathy is a gift from Jesus himself, church who took on the frail human form. He became the perfect high priest because he had the heart of God, but he also felt the pain of the people. Now, sympathy is different than empathy, all right? Sympathy could be said is feeling sorry for someone from 100 feet away. Uh, Sympathy doesn't walk a mile in your shoes. Sympathy just feels sorry that your feet hurt. But empathy is truly the ability to feel somebody's pain. It's kind of feeling with people. It's seeing through their lenses of pain, and it's, it's disparaging any judgments that come along with their dire situation. You know, we try to do the best we can. Like, for instance, uh, right now, all of my, a uh, number of my Crossfire students are back there and their families. Uh, we are currently uh, in the middle of the 30-hour famine. So they have not eaten since 2 o'clock yesterday, nor will they eat until 8 o'clock tonight. So they're hungry. So if you hear the rumblings, it's not a... It's not a magnitude 1.2 on the uh, Richter scale. It's their uh, stomachs wanting food. But we're trying to, to, to understand what it's like to actually be starving here in, in, you know, in America. How many of you parents like, oh, when your kids say, oh, I'm starving. How many love that line? Right, well, you want to know what it's like to be starving? Well, here's 30 hours worth. And already just like, just let the pain run through you um, so we can better empathize and be motivated uh, to mourn with others that don't have the food. So here's, I'm going to show one other video today because this is so telling. The the video I'm about to show you um, is from a researcher, Brene Brown, talking about the difference between sympathy and empathy. It's so good, you'll remember it, and it really has the gospel fingerprints all over it, even though it's not an overtly Christian video. Here, watch this. So what is empathy? And why is it very different than sympathy? Empathy fuels connection. Sympathy drives disconnection. Empathy, it's very interesting. Teresa Wiseman is a nursing scholar who studied professions, very diverse professions where empathy is relevant and came up with four qualities of empathy. Perspective taking, the ability to take the perspective of another person or, or recognize their perspective as their truth. Staying out of judgment, Not easy when you enjoy it as much as most of us do. (laughs) Recognizing emotion in other people and then communicating that. Empathy is feeling with people. And to me, I always think of empathy as this kind of sacred space where someone's kind of in a deep hole and they shout out from the bottom and they say, I'm stuck, it's dark, I'm overwhelmed. And then we look and we say, hey, and climb down. I know what it's like down here, and you're not alone. Sympathy is, ooh, it's bad, uh-huh. Uh, no, you want a sandwich? Um, empathy is a choice, and it's a vulnerable choice, because in order to connect with you, I have to connect with something in myself that knows that feeling. Rarely, if ever, does an empathic response begin with at least. I had a, yeah. And we do it all the time. Because you know what? Someone just shared something with us that's incredibly painful. 
and we're trying to silver lining it. I don't think that's a verb, but I'm using it as one. We're trying to put the silver lining around it. So I had a miscarriage. At least you know you can get pregnant. I think my marriage is falling apart. At least you have a marriage. (laughs) John's getting kicked out of school. At least Sarah is an A student. But one of the things we do sometimes in the face of very difficult conversations is we try to make things better. If I share something with you that's very difficult, I'd rather you say, I don't even know what to say right now. I'm just so glad you told me. Because the truth is, rarely can a response make something better. What makes something better is connection. Mm, it's good stuff, huh? Oh. The connection is what matters. How many of you have been comforted by trite words before that go nowhere? When my mom uh, passed away suddenly in 1985 from cancer, our neighbor, who um, was very well-meaning, uh, I remember this day we were in that receiving line there in the funeral home, and he came up to me and he goes, well, only the good die young. Did he just quote Billy Joel to me? <laughs> and in context, that was actually a derogatory statement because when, you know, Billy Joel's song was like, well, if you're good, you're going to die young. So anyhow, the platitudes um, that we get, they, the words often aren't enough. However, whenever there's that connection, when somebody's like, hey, I am here for you. And the awesome thing is, is, and they didn't go in this, in the the video, of course, not being a Christian video, but we have the privilege then when we get down there with somebody and they feel that darkness is is weighing them down, that we can come alongside them and get on our knees and pray with them. It's, you know, scriptures say, bear each other's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. So you kind of get down there with somebody, get them all dirty, and you just begin to like lift together. It's so, it's so incarnational. Jesus, when he saved us, he wasn't like, he wasn't in, in heaven light years away throwing us a life preserver. Here, catch. You know, he came down, rolled up his sleeves, got dirty with us. He, he's an example for ministry. It gets messy, but we do that incarnationally. So empathy, think of the specific ways, the kinds of pains and sufferings that you've been through in your life, whether it's abortion, whether you've had one, addiction, a loss of a loved one. Some of you have done that. You've already been, you found yourself like being a magnet for other people that have had abortions that are coming out of addiction or loss of a loved one because the power of empathy is so central to the gospel. And that is part of the ministry. If you're wondering, what is my ministry? Who should I minister to? Just look and see where you have been wounded. Um, uh, One of my favorite writers, Henri Nouwen, he wrote a book called The Wounded Healer. And so he talks such a rich book, but in essence, talk about how these deep places we've been wounded by suffering and pain and hurt, but then how God then uh, comes in and heals us. And then from, from the overflow of that healing, we're able to give that to other people. That is our ministry, and we can do that well with empathy. If you are involved in the grief share ministry here, you, you know that very full well. Amen. All right, well. When is it appropriate to mourn? Obviously, in the big hurts of life, like the loss of a loved one. Of course, you know, over two weeks ago, men and women filled this very sanctuary uh, to mourn the loss of Dick Pencil. And uh, let me just say, there's a lot of celebrating of his life that was going on here as well, as it should be. 
that's tough. There's also people that, that their, their marriages are ending. They have a miscarriage. They lose a job. They have a child that goes off into prodigal land. They have a serious accident or injury. And we need those people here, the body of Christ, to be those empathizers, to go down, because it is tough in these big hurts of life. The people that have stood by guys like um, Gary Walter or Hartley Dewey, um, people that will have to stand by uh, Norma Woodbury. I've heard about her with a uh, recent diagnosis uh, of a brain tumor. We've got to be there for them, and we've got to do it well. That's what the body of Christ does. And also, you don't just celebrate when, 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 when people are at the very bottom of the valley, because that's tough. But you know what? There are a lot of us, we, are, we may not be down the bottom of the valley, but we certainly aren't on the mountaintop. We're hurting or struggling in smaller ways. Someone fails a course. Someone wrecks his family car, fails to get that dream job they were going after. They break up with their boyfriend or their girlfriend. These kind of things are, they're smaller, but they're no less insignificant, particularly to the person that's going through it. And so what a great ministry that we can do, here's one practical suggestion, is to pray for someone even while they're going through something. So did you ever, did the thought ever strike you like, um, for instance, you know somebody, we'll use the job, job interview example, you know somebody's going through this job interview that they've been prepping for for weeks, they're so stressed about it. Or maybe they're, they're, maybe they're at the doctor's appointment uh, getting an evaluation that could have uh, enormous um, consequences for the life. And then you're at home there just on Facebook or watching TV, and you're like, huh, yeah, they're really going through that now, huh, glad it's not me. You ever feel that callousness? Like, oh boy, that's really tough for them right now. I'm glad I'm in this safe place. A great discipline would be just to stop what you're doing. Just stop what you're doing, right? And say, Lord, I just, I agree, Lord, with my sister right now who's in this interview. Give peace to my brother who's uh, in with a doctor right now. Give them peace and just begin to help bear their burdens even through prayer. So why don't we? Why don't we um, mourn well? Why do we become scorners instead of mourners sometimes? Well, again, there is the issue of the lack of time, which I won't mention that because, again, sacrifice makes time. If you're not going to sacrifice, you might find the time. There's a big difference. Self-centeredness. Pope John Paul II once wrote, a great danger for family life in the midst of any society whose idols are pleasure, comfort, and independence, the society we live in, lies in the fact that people close their hearts and become selfish. Um, Selfishness in the Christian life can be characterized by sacrificial love on my own terms. Hey, I'll sacrifice for you, but it's going to be on my terms and in my time. It's the attitude that says, how dare you interrupt my mountaintop with your valley? Let me have my time in the sun, you know? And you may get that time in the sun, and other times, other times, you will not get it. You will not get it. And then uh, there's apathy, which arguably even, is even worse than sympathy. Not-so-Christian comedian George Carlin once said, Today, scientists have announced that they have discovered a cure for apathy. However, they claim that no one has the slightest interest in it. <laughs> have you ever seen the show Seinfeld, Jerry, um, you know, the calluses? It's funny on the show, but in real life, when somebody, something bad happens, somebody else just crosses his arm like, hmm, that's a shame. And, and there's that sense of apathy you know, the Christian version of that that creeps into the church. I define apathy as this. It's an outlook of indifference that leads to astonishing feats of inaction. Astonishing feats of inaction. 
Listen, we may not care sometimes, and it's, it's virtually impossible to care all the time as we should. But if you don't care that you don't care, that, my friend, is a problem. It's a problem that can only be cured by the Holy Spirit. Um, I love what the, what, what, what the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 10. He says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. So I thought of a way. It was this sermon. So I'm trying to do my part here. And let us not neglect meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another, especially as the day of his return is drawing near. So if you had to summarize that statement, I would say this, that love is a consequence of community and action is a natural byproduct of love. Love does not sit by passively. And if we are in community together, man, the love will just burst forth. If we're going to do church like we do uh, our American neighborhood subdivision with picket fences in between us, it's easy to stay loveless. And if you're loveless, it's easy to stay apathetic. Lord, deliver us from that. Well, why? Let's, uh, let's begin to close this up. Why? What's our proper motivations for rejoicing and mourning? Besides the fact that it's an imperative, do you know that? It's a command in this laundry list of love. It's not a suggestion. So, but Jesus, always, there's always a why. Just behind every precept, there's a principle. And behind every principle, there's a person of Christ. A great motivation is to do what he calls us to do. And in Romans 12, 3 through 8, before that laundry list of love, Paul... Um, Paul sets up the fact of this great truth that we are family. And you are welcome that I did just not sing the Sister Sledge version of that from the 70s, even though a lot of you were thinking that in your mind. Um, the laundry list, of, the laundry list of, of love is um, thrown out there. It's expressed on the platform of, hey, we are the body of Christ. We are all in this together. And if we want to live lives of sacrifice unto God, then this is what we do. All of those things, plus Romans 12, 15, rejoicing and mourning when appropriate. I'm not talking about random acts of kindness here. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but in intentionality toward building up the family of God. You know, this laundry list, the dirty laundry, it's in the family, right? And so we just got to roll up our sleeves and do this well. And And that's what family members do. They rejoice when needed and they mourn when needed. Um... In another, ironically, in another passage of Scripture when Paul is talking about the body, 1 Corinthians 12, he says, you know what, let's all read this verse together on the count of three. One, two, three. If one part of the body suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Isn't that awesome? That's, that, that, that would be a great summary verse uh, for today other than the Romans 12, 15 itself. So we're always only as strong as our weakest link. We're only as weak as our strongest link. We're all in this together. Um, and the second reason, which is also awesome, is that as, as imitators of Christ, we glorify God by imitating Christ, who is the great rejoicer and the great mourner. Remember, he's the, Jesus is the great rejoicer and celebrator. If you think of Jesus as this angry, stodgy, uh, uptight guy, you know, you, Lord, blow your mind through the truth of God's word. He's the one that, remember, that turned water into wine at a wedding. He's the one that, re, that invites everyone to rejoice over things like lost coin, lost sheep, lost people. He's the one that declares that there's more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner that repents. This is the God of Zephaniah 3.17, and it says, the Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. 
He will no longer rebuke you in his love, but will rejoice over you with singing. Every time we think of Jesus, we often think, oh yeah, we're the ones singing to him. He's the one that's singing over, to, oh, singing over us. Wouldn't that be awesome if, when, you know, when we see Jesus in all of his glory someday, the first thing he does is sing over us with rejoicing. Hey, it could happen. It probably will happen. And so when you begin to think, yeah, Jesus, he's the, he's the party. There's no party without Jesus. He's the one that knows how to rejoice. And if we imitate him, we would be able to be contagious and rejoice with other folks. And how awesome Jesus is, he's also the great mourner and the great empathizer. Remember, he's also the one that stood at the graveside of Lazarus and wept uh, at the sight of the loss of this dear friend and brother. He's the one that feels sorrow and offers hope when he tells Jerusalem, how I long to gather your children as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, the broken heart of Jesus and the one, everyone say amen for Isaiah 53. Mm. The one who took up our pain and bore our suffering. Jesus has proved to be the greatest empathizer in the history of the universe. He feels all of our pain. Mm. You thought Bill Clinton was the only one that felt your pain, but indeed Jesus has, which has made all of the difference. All right, here's one last thought today. There's a four-word sentence that, that Paul kicks off with this laundry list of love. Love must be sincere. The reason I throw that out there is because um, we all want to be sincere, right? Sincere means non-hypocritical, means genuine, not fake. But the reason I say this is because I have heard this so misunderstood in American evangelicalism and the church. I think that we, in some cases, have overvalued uh, the price um, or this, this notion of being authentic. Let me just say how this gets misunderstood. They would take this verse, I've seen people take this verse, and they would say this, if I don't really feel like it, it's going to be fake and hypocritical, so I'm not going to do it because, you know, I like to keep it real. All right? Um, they would go on to say, in the name of keeping it real and sincere and authentic, I'm not going to walk through any motions and be fake. Hence, ergo, authentic inactivity is better than inauthentic action. I just want to keep it real, right? So I'm going to do nothing, but I'm going to be sincere. I'm going to be sincerely apathetic. <laughs> if I were Richard Dawson on the, uh, on, you know, on the Family Feud, I'd look up and say, survey says, ah. that's wrong. This is how I think it should be understood. The mandate to the Christian community is to suffer and rejoice with one another. It, just, it says that as best we can in each opportunity. So, failing to rejoice and mourn with our brothers and sisters for whatever the reason, that, my friends, is the act of hypocrisy because we are not being true to who we are as the body of Christ. So when you say, well, I don't feel it, it does not matter if you feel it or not. The only sincerity that, that God cares about is your sincere commitment to obey his commands. Amen? And so I, I, understand the, I understand some of you are like, well, you got to fake it till you make it. And there is some truth to that, all right? There's probably a better phrase. But remember, to feel it, mm. feelings make great servants, but they make horrible, horrible masters. I love it that the scripture says, where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. You invest your treasure where it should be. And guess what? Your heart will follow in time. But just obey and be true to who we are as God's children. Amen? And just maybe, maybe when we get this celebrating and mourning thing down, this laundry list of love, just maybe 
This practice may spill over the church walls, into our neighborhoods, into our workplaces, uh, into our families that don't know him. And we just may mourn with and celebrate people into the kingdom. How about that? Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you so much for you are the great rejoicer and mourner. God, help us just this morning. Just put this on our radar. Show us opportunities that we would uh, have to faithfully rejoice with those who rejoice and to mourn for those people that have cause to mourn. God, let us, let us be imitators of you, Lord, and members of this great family. God, that we would help bear each other's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. And just, and, and, just, and just be able to party, be able to put our own agenda aside and just be happy for folks and, and, and genuinely say, God, I rejoice in, 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 the well, in the well-being and the good fortune of others, even if this has not happened to me this day or this year. Oh, God, give us hearts that are faithful to rejoice and to mourn and to do that well. God, we sure love you. And we know in the kingdom there is much cause for mourning and there is much cause for rejoicing. We thank you, Lord, that your rejoicing will always have the last word. And may we go and do that and do that faithfully, thus bringing you glory and building up the body of Christ. This we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Well, at this time, I'm going to ask for the altar ministers to come forward. And as they do do that, I'm going to give the benediction here in a minute. But as the altar ministers come forward, we want to give you an opportunity every week to come and get prayer. And here's the other thing I'll say. If you have something that is really good that's happened to you, come up here and celebrate. These guys will give a prayer of celebration with you. If you are feeling the weight of the world, we have all kind of empathizers up here that would be more than happy to pray with you you before you go out, okay? So we have a commitment. We're going to go and rejoice and mourn this week as God's as God gives us opportunity. Amen. Well, would you rise for the benediction which comes from Romans 15. Now may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accordance with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So go, rejoice well and mourn well for his glory and for the building up of his body. Amen. Have a great week, y'all.